0: We're continuing in our Advent series this morning, Uh, so if you weren't here last week or if you're visiting with us, uh, I know that this isn't a typical Advent passage, but it is the passage that God has led us to, and so we're continuing uh, and, and really kind of camping out here in this passage until... Until Christmas Eve, and I want to challenge you now. Uh, I don't know that I do this enough. I I, I definitely don't do this enough. I don't challenge you as a people enough, and so I want to challenge you on the front end of this message to start thinking, to start praying about uh, who there might be in your world, right, in your sphere, in your sort of uh, in your sphere of influence, in the relationships in your life. Who is there that you can invite to join you? on this journey. Uh, in fact, what I want to do as we, as we get into this passage this morning is just to plant that question in your mind, to begin to think outside of yourself, to think outside of your family, to think outside of your comfort, uh, your convenience. I want us to approach the Word of God this morning with the posture of knowing that God is going to speak, that, that He is going to speak. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get in the way, maybe not, but He is going to speak to us because He always does through His Word. I want you to know that. And I want you to think um, about the world in which you live and ask yourself this simple question Is there anybody in my world who could stand to have a little extra helping of peace in their life? Is there anybody, an aunt maybe, a brother, people in your workplace, maybe somebody in your neighborhood, in your class? for you kids at school, maybe it's a teacher, administrator, maybe it's one of your classmates who could stand to benefit from hearing of the peace of God in Christ. We've been given a place to gather each week. You know, and that's that's not a little thing. We we are so tempted to take things for granted. Um, but what a shame it would be on us as a people if we were to hide inside these walls week after week after week, once a week, rather than fling open the doors to the people in our lives and invite them to come into not a specific church, but into the ministry of Christ, into redemption in Him. This is not me trying to market Rivercrest to you. This is me trying to encourage you to share the gift that we just sang about, the gift that we're going to hear about with the people in the world around you. So with that in mind, would you stand with me now? Would you stand with me as we set our hearts and minds, as we set our eyes and our ears to join in the reading and hearing of God's Word. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we ask you now to come and to speak to us. It's possible that you're going to have to shout pretty loud for us to hear because we're a distracted people. We've got all kinds of things in our minds. I'm, I'm standing here right now with all sorts of things in my mind, and so I want you to help us to focus and hear from you this morning. Would you unstop our ears? Would you open our eyes, and would you awaken our souls that we might come into your presence perhaps for the first time? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the, one of the things you start to see uh, this year, and you've probably noticed it already. It's one of the, I would say, it's one of the cool things about this season each year is that there's a, there are a ton of Christmas concerts happening, all around us. Like, like, like every, everywhere. And, and I, I think about this into every church that's like got a big. Platform and a pipe organ, man. They are having a concert every, every, and, and they still are allowed to call them Christmas concerts. But, but you know, th- it also happens in school. Like in school, this time of year, you have your winter concerts. It's, it's a point in the year where you, they used to call them Christmas concerts, but they're not allowed, they're not allowed to do that anymore. Um, but that's, that's where they happen. They happen everywhere schools, church, wherever. In fact, it, it, as hard as it may to believe, may be for you to believe, my first experience. Uh, with Handel's Messiah, right—that his famous oratorio that he wrote back in 1741. My first experience with that uh, piece of music was in high school, uh, in the high school concert choir Christmas program. And I, I just for the record, that was at Dutch Fork High School on the other side of the dam. This wasn't in like such and such Christian school. This was in the public school. We were singing parts of Handel's. Messiah. That's where I first came into contact with that piece of work. It's hard to believe we were able to do that in school. Uh, Now, it's always that which song gets all the press from that one, right? It's the Hallelujah Chorus. That's the the one that everybody knows. It's the one that legend tells you that the king stood up, and, and now that is our tradition. And so you stand up when you hear the Hallelujah Chorus. If you've ever been in a crowd, that's where that comes from, if you just stood up it's okay. Just just keep standing up when that happens or you'll be the only guy sitting down. I, I learned that one the hard way too. Um, but the song that stood out to me as we were doing rehearsals for, uh, by, by the way, my family is very concert choirish people. Um, if you've ever stood beside me in here, you would not guess that. But, um, my whole family, like growing up, that's how my grandparents met was in like the concert choir at USC. And, uh, and so that's, this is what we were about, and so it was sort of an understood that I was going to be in the choir as a child. So that's, that's where, it wasn't for gifting in music, I assure you. But anyway, that was, that's where we were, and we're practicing for this part of the Messiah that we're going to do, and we get to this one song that has a very, <clears throat> it'll have a familiar title, it's from part one, it's just called, For Unto Us A Child Is Born. Now that sounds familiar, right? For unto us a child is born. Like like many of the pieces of the whole, that song is just a musical arrangement of Scripture taken straight out of Isaiah chapter 9, where we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, and you know this part, you could sing it probably, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace. y'all are good. Like half of you are good. <laughs> the other half, you'll be good next time. Next year, y'all going to be all over that. You know what those are? Those are prophetic names. That's what they are. They're prophetic names for our Savior. They tell us something about His nature and His character. That's, that's what they tell us. They speak of the essence of who Jesus is. And so today, in keeping with our Advent theme of peace, the question we're asking is, what in the world does it mean For Jesus to be our Prince of Peace, what does that look like? I hear people talk about peace all the time. I hear it all the time. Whether it's on the news, whether it's in community group, we we talk about peace all the time. But when I look around, man, I don't see a whole lot of it. We talk about it, but we don't see a whole lot of it. What I see are wars. And what I hear are, are rumors of wars. I see marriage struggles. I see hurting families. I see surgeries and difficult recoveries. I see a massive cultural identity crisis in our culture in the angst of not knowing who we are. I see hate. I see prejudice. I see discrimination. I see dividing lines being drawn in the sand. And more often than not in our culture, they're being carved into concrete. I see frustration, I see aggravation, I see distress. Again, I see a culture of people, from those who are in my home to the people here that we worship with every week, to our community and planet as a whole. I see us living in a constant state of worry and fear. And if I'm not presently walking in a season of personal struggle, all I have to do is turn on the news, because evidently pain is the best seller. What about Peace. What does that look like in this world? Because we know that peace in this world cannot mean uh, living a life totally void of struggle. It it can't mean that. And if that's what you hear me trying to tell you each week, you either aren't hearing me or I'm saying it wrong. Because Jesus himself said in John 16, right? He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And, And there's a period there. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It says, in the world, you will have tribulation period. Full stop. That's the statement. That's what it says. It doesn't say in this world you might have tribulation. It says you will. It's not that you should just be prepared in case maybe tribulation will come your way. It says in this world you will have tribulation. That's a guarantee. You're going to experience it. You're going to, you're going to experience distress, you're going to experience trouble. You're going to be acquainted with affliction and suffering in this life. And you know this. Like you might have been reminded of that this morning because, because Sunday mornings are notoriously difficult. Our five-year-old, he's not in here, it's okay. Our five-year-old, he, he is a sweet little guy, man. I mean, he really is. If you spend any time with him, uh, we love him more than words can express. But every single Sunday morning, He picks a fight. Everyone. In fact, some of you have seen that. He hasn't walked into this building in six months with a smile on his face. He comes in angry and ready to let everybody know it. Okay? And we and we smile at him, and some of you are so kind because you you don't lecture me about how grumpy my kid is, and I appreciate that. And and he comes in and he drops something, and it's just it's over, right? This is what kids do on Sunday morning. Sunday Sunday brings strife. Now I wonder why that is. I don't actually I don't wonder why that is. I know exactly why that is. You know that Sunday is the day that the enemy would want you to be most distracted. You know that. Like Sunday brings strife because our enemy wants us to be distracted. He wants our minds to be conflicted. He wants our hearts to be strained. It's, it's like the cowbells. If you've ever been to a Mississippi State football game, and this has crept into the high school ranks, which is just such a gift to all of us, but the, their fans bring these cowbells, right? And they ring them the whole time. Game to the point where the league has to make rules about it, and they ring them, and they clang these bells all the time. Now, why do they do that? They don't do that to bother the fans. They do that to bother the players out on the field. They're trying to distract them, trying to take their minds off of what they're supposed to be doing, trying to make them be unfocused while they're on the field. Everything that they've practiced, everything that they've anticipated, everything that they've been working for over the week, they're trying to ring a bell and shatter that. Isn't that exactly what the enemy would love to have for us on these days? It's no wonder that Sunday mornings are difficult. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it so difficult for me to be here by like ten AM? but I can be at my CrossFit gym at five, ten AM? I've always wondered that one. Man, it's just so early on Sunday mornings. Really? <clears throat> You're saying that out loud, right? You know anyway. Um, the enemy wants us to struggle. And as a Christian on Sunday, I want you to know this. I want you to know that you have a target on your back. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ on Sunday morning, you have a target on your back. You see, the devil doesn't have to mess with the ones sleeping in their beds on Sundays. It's a limited group of people that he gets to attack, and you're part of that. We get all his attention. So in this world, you will have tribulation, but right, it doesn't stop there. Jesus continues. He says, Take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's where we get a glimpse of what it means to see Jesus as our Prince of Peace. It's that He has overcome. You say, okay, well, where's the, where's the proof of that, right? Because you just told me that everything we see around us seems to be chaotic. And when I say, here's the proof, I point to the cross and I point to the empty tomb. And so now when we read in 1 Peter 1, we're given a deeper understanding of what it means to walk. In the peace of Christ, we saw last week how he is how we have a hope in Christ because, because we have an inheritance that's waiting for us, an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that's unfading, an inheritance that's being kept in heaven for you. That's the future that we look forward to in the present. That's what we have to look forward to. And then Peter expands on that in verse 5. He he expands that idea, and this is what he says. He says, of that inheritance, uh, by the way, something that is unlike anything else that you can ever have in this world. Every single thing that you've ever seen, touched, smelt, tasted, every single thing is perishable, every single thing is fading, every single thing is defiled, But, but this inheritance is something totally different. This is what he says, it's being kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, now he's talking about you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That word for guarded there is the same word that might be used, uh, in fact, the NIV translates that as shielded. It's being shielded. It means we're being protected. It's the idea of being kept secure. It's actually a military term. It's a term used to, to describe a, a, a vigilant defense of a fortress. And, and, and we understand that, listen, we understand that the only things that we guard are the things that are precious to us, right? We guard the things that are are important to us, and we tend to only guard them if we believe there is a threat to them. Just watch the kids in the nursery for one week. Just take one week and volunteer in the nursery, and you will see the little four- and five-year-olds that if they find a toy, they will hold that thing, and they look at everyone as a threat. Everyone is a potential risk to losing that toy. And they guard it. And, like, and, the, and you'll see them. They have their little spots. Now, our rooms don't have a lot of cubbies or anything like that. So it's just little corners where they tuck the, the character. This one's my truck this morning. I'm going to guard it. And then they play over here. And it's not, that they, it's not that they love this thing so much. It's just they love it enough to not let anybody else have it. Right? They guard it. They keep watch over it. Because in that moment for a child, it's precious to them. And they're surrounded by little little threats to it. They ferociously watch over them. But this is more than keeping watch. When we say that we're being guarded, when he's guarding it for us, when we are being guarded, it's more than keeping watch. You know, that's part of it. Jesus is certainly the shepherd, right? Our good shepherd who watches over the sheep. But it's more than that. You see, I can keep watch. I can keep watch. I can stand there. I can see the enemy approaching. I can ring a bell or sound the alarm. I can, I can do that. But there's, there's a great possibility that I won't actually be able to guard when the enemy advances. The peace of Christ is attested to us in this passage in two ways. The first is that we are protected by the almighty power of God. That's what it says there in verse 5. Look at that. It says, uh, For those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it says that we are being guarded, again, shielded by God's power. That's the defense of the believer. It's the it's what's called the dunamis power of God, right? That 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 word gets a lot of press because there's the legend that that's where they got the name of dynamite from. Is the explosive power? What it really is is the miraculous power of God that that speaks creation into existence. It's the power that quiets the raging storm, that walks upon the water. It's the power that heals the lame. It's the power that opens the eyes of the blind and unstops the ears of the deaf. It's the power of God that raises the dead. It's the same power that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. That's what Hebrews 13.20 tells us. It's an out-of-this-world kind of power. Again, the author of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. You see, this is not a terrestrial power. It's a heavenly power. It's not a power that's of this world. It's the power that holds this world in its place. I once heard a guy speaking, and he talked about how if you really consider your reality at any given moment, it'll make your head uh, explode. He said, you know, we, we live on a planet that's tilted 23 and a half degrees on its axis. By all accounts, 23 degrees on our axis, no life on earth. 24 degrees on its axis, no life on earth. But 23 and a half degrees, perfect environment conducive to life on this planet. That we are traveling right now around, spinning on our axis, about 700 miles an hour. All right, So 700 miles an hour at the time. At the same time, we're rolling around the sun at 70,000 miles an hour, hurtling through space. And so when you consider all of those things that have to be, have to be consistent and constant for us to exist, it will scare you. That's the power of God right there, that he holds all of that in his hand, that he weaves all of those things together in such a way that you didn't even think about it until I brought it up this morning. This is how we are. It reminds us. If you've ever stood out in your yard at night and looked up at the sky and seen the vastness that is space, that you've seen those things. And, and that's one of the beauty of having children is they look and go, what is that? And you have to come up with an answer, right? And, it's, and if, once they get to like third grade, they start doing astronomy, and you're going, yeah, it's, sure, that's Mars, bro. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Is it, I don't have a telescope to get there. And he's like, you just need this app. And I'm like, of course, there's an app to tell me what the things in the sky are. But this is, this is what we're talking about when we talk about the power of God. It's the God of the universe who holds all of that. He didn't just speak it into creation and go, I hope it works out, but he holds it presently in his hands. He's presently active in that. And so with Jesus, he doesn't just keep watch. He's so He has the power that he doesn't have to sound the alarm. Jesus never has to call for reinforcements. And he guards his people with the same power in which he spoke all of creation into being and the same power that he uses right now to hold it in his hand. And so wherever he sends us, wherever he sends us to, and whatever he sends us to do, wherever he has uniquely placed you in this world, he has placed you there as a beacon of his grace, And He also has the power to guard you. One commentator says, Our Lord can afford to scatter us as aliens in this world because we are, by His protecting power, secured from all harm. When my family scatters each morning, I have to trust in God to bring us all back together because the truth is we're not all together during the day. We humbly confess that every single morning when we pray, God, would you bring us all home at the end of this day? We have to do that. We have to trust that he has the limitless, miraculous, sovereign power to hold all of us in his hand in such a way that what Paul says in Romans 8, he says that there isn't anything in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not anything. Not anything. He said, well, surely there's something. No, cancer can't do that. Cancer can't separate us from the love of God in Christ. The loss of a job can't do that. Losing a loved one cannot do that. Growing old can't do that. Being too young and reckless can't do that. There's nothing that we can do, nothing that can happen to us that can separate us because we're being held by the strength of the Almighty God. And so we move in peace, you and I we do, we move in peace, knowing that we that we can't wiggle away i have I have a little niece who's uh just a couple years old, she loves to be held, loves to like like all little kids do, loves to be in your arms and uh and she'll rest her little head on your shoulder right and and uh and what she's doing there is sort of luring you into believing um that she's not a little crazy, you know um because all toddlers are a little crazy i mean that's just it's just how it is, and so she'll do that. She'll bait you in, put her little head, she'll nuzzle in there, and you think, oh, she's going to go to sleep, and then in an instant she'll just fall backwards, you know, just you know, as only a two-year-old can do, and uh, just throw herself backwards. You're holding her there on your hip or whatever. You're so convinced that this is about to be as peaceful as it gets, and before you, and then you see knees. That's it, and her head's hitting you in the lower leg, and you're going, this is about to be a, a problem, right? And um. And then there's also like the kid, I'm the uncle, right? So mama's over there watching this happen. And I always wondered, does she think I'm going to drop her child? You know, what, what kind of tension are we inviting into this room? And uh, she's just smiling, laughing the whole time, right? Now, why is she doing that? How is she able to do that other than the fact that she's just a little thrill seeker? She can only do that. She can only fall back like that if, if she trusts you if she believes that you're going to hold her, that you're not going to let her fall, that you're not going to let her little head hit the ground, that you're not going to drop her. You know, that's a little glimpse of what Jesus talks about when he says, um, when he points to that little child and he says, unless you turn and become like children, you will not ever enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's the faith right there. That's the faith that says, I know you have me. I know you won't let me hit the ground because I know that you won't let me go. That's the faith of a child. You see, the way we know that is because in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the recovery, even in the midst of angst, sorrow, and despair that will surely come my way, he won't let us go. And nothing can snatch me out of His hand. And that's really the second element that we see in this passage. It's the element of faith. Yes, we're held by the power of God, but we're also held by faith. Look back at verse 5 again. It says, by God's power, we are being guarded. It's His power that's guarding us. He has us. And we're being guarded through faith. Again, this is verse 5. Through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our participation that's our side of it. That's what we contribute to it. God contributes the power and we contribute the faith that says, yes, I believe you won't let me go. It's just like the little kid in your arms, showing trust, showing faith, demonstrating it through the knowledge that they are being held. Faith, Faith is really just recognizing the fortress that's been built around us in Christ. It's acknowledging that the hands of our Father in heaven are too great to allow us to drop. William Harrell says that faith is the means by which God's protective power is engaged. It's the means by which God's protective power is engaged. Dormant faith is one thing. You know, saying, I know you have me, is one thing. But true faith, true faith is seen in action It's when we step out for the sake of our King, trusting in Him that He won't let us hit the ground, trusting that in His love, He has us, not just in the future, but presently. So yeah, we trust Him in the moments of calm, of course, but we feel His hand in those moments of chaos. You see, for the Christian faith is the conduit of redemption. It's the conduit of our salvation. It's the pathway. That's what that means. what a conduit is. It's the pathway by which salvation is brought to a believer. That's what Ephesians 2.8 says. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So it's it's by the grace of God that we can be saved, and faith is the conduit by which that salvation comes to a believer. And, And then Paul continues. This is what he says. He says, And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God the gift of God. Now Christmas is the time of gifts, right? That's what we do. We give gifts this time of year. And so this gift that God has given is is, is in two ways. It's both the grace that's given and it's the faith to believe. It means that not not only is the grace of God given to us through Jesus at the cross, paying our debt, right? Taking our sin upon himself, But it's also the faith that's given to us to enable us to follow Him. Even the faith is a gift from Him. This is a multi-layered gift. This is one of those good boxes. This is one of those that you open up and somebody goes, Hey, there's more. Not only has He given us the grace, but He's also given us the faith to receive it. This is the gift of God to His people. That's the gift that God gives to His chosen people so that we have nothing to boast of in ourselves because it's all from him, That's what it means that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It means he doesn't, just keep the, he doesn't just keep the inheritance for us, but He also keeps us for the inheritance. He has brought us near. That's what Ephesians 2.13 says, that now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When I was a young man, that, that's the first verse that spoke to me of the reality of my depravity. Many of us in here, we grew up really good people. I mean, I think y'all are nice people. You seem to be. Even the visitors, I don't know y'all real well. Y'all seem super nice. You were friendly out in the hall. It's great. You're nice people. I haven't seen any of y'all's faces in mugshots recently. Um, and so we can be tempted at times to think... that Jesus paid for everybody else. But for me, honestly, he's just lucky to have me on his team. I mean, you don't say that out loud. because People would frown upon that. But we can be tempted to think that I don't do bad things. I'm not a great sinner. It was that verse right there that I was far off, but I've been brought near the blood of Christ. And listen, He didn't bring us near to watch us fall away. He guards us. He shields us, even in the midst of trials, even in the seasons that seem to us to be more darkness than light. He still holds on to us. It's that He carries us all the way home. He builds the house and He brings us into it. That's what the Prince of Peace does, and that's what it looks like to walk in peace today. It's knowing that you have a home with Him. We know there will be troubles, right? We know there's going to be times of angst and sorrow. Even Jesus didn't get out of this life without some scars, right? But we have to remember what Paul said in Romans 8, that in seasons of plenty and in want, seasons of joy and sorrow, seasons of sickness and in health, right? Paul says that in all these things, We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death, nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing. That's good news for us today. It's good news for me. It's good news for us that, that God is the one holding on to us. Because... I'll just confess that my faith is weak. My faith is timid. My faith is shaky. You'll never believe this, but you guys intimidate me. Actually, you may believe that. Yeah, I think it's good that he finally admitted that. (laughs) You guys intimidate me. Every single week, every single day. It's okay. Because it's not about me. It's about what He is doing. My faith is, I've said this before, my faith is like the shifting sand beside the ocean. Every single wave changes it. I'm so prone to We sing every night, come thou fount of every blessing with our littlest son. And and I think, I am so prone to wander. But He's not. He's not. That's why I'm so thankful that it's not on me to hold on to Him, but it's on Him to hang on to me. The gift of God is peace in Christ. You can't wrap that under a tree. But it's a gift that we're called to share. I wonder if you will trust Him this week. I wonder if when you fall back, you'll believe that He will hold you and not allow you to hit the ground. I wonder if you'll be like my little niece who is absolutely out of her little mind and you will actually throw yourself with reckless abandon into the work into which God has called you. I wonder. I hope. I hope. I wonder if you'll throw yourself into his work, into his mission, knowing that his hand is the one that's going to hold you. I pray that we'll be a people like that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for what you've done for us. That in Christ you have paid the penalty for our sin. That in him you have you have secured our redemption. And that by your grace and through your Holy Spirit, you have called us to be your people. Lord, I pray that you would hold us tightly. Help us to feel your hand. Help us, because there are storms. We know that. We know this week is going to bring storms. We know that this week is going to bring challenges. That we're going to be tempted at times to think that you have left us. Lord, help us to turn to you in faith in those moments. Help us to rest upon you.